If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24. We are finishing up a series today, uh, a little mi- two-week mini-series called Under the Covering. It's, it's a look uh, at this idea of authority in Scripture. And so last week we, we saw um, some principles of authority, um, five five characteristics, five principles of authority that I think we need to, to incorporate. If you uh, miss that message, I highly encourage you to check it out. I think it will be a, a big encouragement to you. Um, today, I, I want to do something a little bit different. In fact, I don't think I've ever structured a message quite like this one, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, but we're going to start with a lot of scripture, and then we're going to end with a lot of my personal testimony instead of kind of weaving it in as we go, and we'll see how it works. So uh, this, is, this is an experimental message, but I, I really feel like this was the way that I was supposed to lay it out. Uh, When you came in, you hopefully got a sheet that looks like this. Um, You don't need this at at this moment in the message, but just kind of referencing it, it it says what rewards are promised to those who submit to authority. So we're going to look at the rewards uh, that come through through authority, the blessings that come through authority today. But we're going to start with a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're actually going to read this entire chapter, so hang with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can read along on the screen. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. And we're going to read 1 Samuel 24. Just to give you a little bit of context here, um, this is the story of a man named David. David eventually would become the king of Israel. But at this point in David's life, um, he's he's famous. He's already killed Goliath and and made a name for himself. Um, And the king, whose name is Saul, became very jealous of David. David actually had served Saul even before he killed Goliath. He was a harpist, and they would bring him in. Saul would have kind of these, uh, these episodes where he would be tormented by an evil spirit. And David would be called in when he was having an episode, and David would play the harp, and there was an anointing on his music, and, and the evil spirit would be driven out. Uh, through the power uh, of the music. Uh, music was powerful, by the way. Uh, there, there is a spiritual component to music, and the things that we put into ourselves um, ha- have a great impact on our attitude, on our temperament, on the way that we, rea- we react to people around us. And so David had this gift where he would play, and, and, and God would drive away this evil spirit. Um, but once David killed Goliath, he became really famous and really well-known and, and really well-liked, and, and Saul became jealous of David. Saul didn't even know that David had been anointed as the future king. Uh, God had rejected Saul and said, you know what, you've disobeyed me. You haven't honored me. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your kingdom and give it to somebody else. And he had chosen David, as a, even when David was a young boy, uh, to be the future king. And so all this goes down. And here in, Psalm, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, what's happening is David's on the run. Saul is after David. He wants to kill David. He wants to take David's life. He wants to take him out. He is number one enemy of the state. Uh, And and so basically Israel is after David. Uh, And we're going to pick the story up there. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, so he'd been in a battle with the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. This is, this is the fugitive, right? Like this is the manhunt. 3,000 people to hunt down this one kid. This one, and he's not even a kid at this point. He's a young man. Um, he, he's really done nothing wrong. He's helped his king. He's honored his king. He, he's done what he's supposed to do. But because of the jealousy, because of the anger, Saul wants to take him out. Verse 3, it says, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in 
to relieve himself. I think the Bible is so funny sometimes, the things it tells us about. So, man, he's human, right? He's got to go in and take a leak. Uh, So he goes into the cave, uh, and it says, uh, David and his men were far back in the cave. So he didn't know this is the cave where the dude where I'm looking for is hiding. He goes in there uh, to to take care of some business, and it says, uh, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So they said this to David. It says, then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. This is the funniest thing in the world to me to imagine if you really play this out. Um, hopefully this won't be too gross for you, but hang with me. Uh, Saul's relieving himself. And while he's doing it, David crawls up uh, and, and he takes his sword or his knife or something. But somehow he cuts off the edge of his robe while Saul is feeling his catharsis. Uh, He's having this moment of release, and and he's feeling relaxed, and he's not really aware or worried about what's going on around him. Um, I know uh, my son is two years old, and he loves to come into the bathroom when I'm in the bathroom, and there's something just weird about that. I'm like, man, I just need my space right now. I love you. You're my boy, uh, but right now, just, just give me 10 seconds to finish this, and, and then we can, you know, get, get back to what we were doing. Um, so, so David comes in, and, and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe while Saul's peeing. I think that's amazing. Um, <laughs> afterwards, Davis was conscience-stricken, for not because he was there when he was peeing, but conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So just to summarize, to to move away from my own humorous enjoyment of the passage, uh, what's really going on here. So, So David's got some men with him. And the men say, look, this is your chance. Saul's after you unjustly. You haven't done anything wrong. You know that this kingdom is promised to you. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Saul's away from all of his guards. He's away from his army. This is your chance to take him out, to assume the throne. You don't have to be on the run anymore. You don't have to be a fugitive anymore. You don't have to hide out anymore. You can go back and live in your hometown. You can go back and be restored to your friends. This is it. And David goes and says, you know what? I can't kill him. I can't take him out. But I, but I will cut off a corner of his robe just to kind of show that I was here. Um, and then he even felt convicted about that. He said, you know what, I shouldn't even have done this. How dare I touch the Lord's anointed. Verse 8, it says, then David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul. Listen to how he refers to him. This is the guy who wants him dead. This is the guy who, who is evil, who, who's demonic, who God has rejected as king, but he still has the office of king. He still has the position of king. And so David says, my Lord, the king, he continues to honor him with his words, a man who, who honestly was unworthy of honor. Uh, it says, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So not only does he honor him with his words, he honors him with his posture. You're the king. I'm going to bow before you. Verse 9 says, he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? The day you, this day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See, there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are 
hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers become evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Why are you coming out against me, he says. He says, who are you pursuing, a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and, and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hands. When David had finished saying all this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? All of a sudden, Saul, Saul's demeanor changes. Um, it says, and then he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be, will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. Verse 22. So David gave his oath to Saul. Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. A lot going on here, a lot that, that's hard to process. Um, we're going to unpack it together, but before we do, let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the examples that you give us in your word uh, of how to honor authority, of how to submit to and obey authority. God, I thank you that you have given us authority as a blessing. Uh, God, and many times it's not wielded well. God, many times authority is abused. Um, but God, we ask that, that you would help us to, to have the proper view of authority, God, that you would help us to get your view of authority, of the people that you put in, in those places, in those roles, in our life. God, give us the, the heart of David. God, give us the, uh, the desire and, and the ability uh, to, to honor the people in our lives, God, even those who maybe don't seem so honorable. We thank you for all this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage raises some obvious questions, right? Like, why? Why wouldn't David take Saul out? I, I can't really tell you what I would do in that situation because I've never killed anybody so I can't just say yeah I would have killed Saul um, but David was a warrior David had taken many lives by this point in time it wasn't necessarily the most challenging thing for him to take someone's life so what was it that caused him to say no I'm not going to harm Saul what was it that kept him from from defending himself I think most of us would say it was probably justifiable this guy's hunting you down. You haven't done anything wrong. He's going to take your life. You know, it's kind of kill or be killed, right? Fight or flight. Um, why did David hold back? Um, despite the fact he was being encouraged by all of his friends, by all the men who are around him. Here's your opportunity. Here's your chance. But David said, no, I can't do this. Um, what's amazing about this is it happens again two chapters later. If you read 1 Samuel 26, and we're not going to read it today just for the sake of time, but we see a very similar scenario play out where, where David has another opportunity. Saul's hunting him down again. So, so we see Saul kind of have this moment of, of regret, this moment of conviction. I shouldn't be doing this. You're a better person than me. You're going to have the kingdom. Saul cries and goes on, but it's not that long, and, and Saul's after him again. Uh, and, and yet in a second opportunity, David does the same thing. He says, no, I can't harm the Lord's anointed. Um, why is David so insistent on not harming Saul? Well, I, I've got three reasons that, that I, or not three reasons, but, but three statements of truth that I think we have to understand to understand this. The, the first is that David recognized that Saul was anointed by God. Um, he didn't harm him because he recognized that Saul was anointed by God. Now, what does it mean to be anointed by God? Well, there, there's a literal meaning and a symbolic meaning. 
Saul was literally anointed by God. First Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, it says, then Samuel, who was the prophet, he took a flask of olive oil and he poured it on Saul's head and he kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So this was the moment when Saul became king. This was the way that a king was installed uh, in Israel, the way that, that God had ordained for it to happen as he was what they called anointed with oil. So they dumped oil over his head, olive oil. I can't imagine that felt real great. I don't know what, like it's thick and gross and I'm sure you probably had to like really scrub it out afterwards, but. But what it, was, it was a symbol that God's presence was being poured out on him, that God's favor was being poured out on him, that, that, that God was going to enable him to function at a higher level than his own personal level. Now, in the New Testament era that, that we live in, a lot of times we throw around this word anointed, right? Like we might refer to a song, or that song was really anointed, or, or that singer was really anointed, or, or that message was anointed, or, or something that we encountered was anointed. What does that word anointed mean? It, it means that, that God has enabled you to do something that you couldn't do on your own. It doesn't mean you couldn't sing on your own or you couldn't preach on your own, but, but the way that it came across, the way that it impacted other people, there was a supernatural element to it that only God could do. That's the anointing. And so David recognized that Saul had received an anointing from God, that God's favor was on Saul, that God had chosen him as the king. And even though Saul didn't function properly in that, even though Saul rebelled against what God wanted him to do, and, and even though God eventually ended up rejecting Saul, David said, as long as Saul's still the king, I'm not messing with it. Because God anointed him as king. God put him there. Now, if you were here last week, we read Romans 13, and, and we discovered that all authority on earth has been instituted by God. And, and we push back against that, right? Because we can point to this authority that's been abused and that authority that's been evil and, and all this stuff that's gone wrong. When it says that it's been all instituted by God or when it says that Saul was anointed by God, it doesn't mean that, that God approves of everything Saul did. We know God didn't approve of everything Saul did. It doesn't mean that God approves of that abusive father or, or, or that neglectful mother or, or that corrupt police officer or insert whatever abusive authority that, that, that you think of there. It doesn't mean that God approves of that authority, but it does mean that God has given them that authority. And so we discovered last week is, is that we're going to answer to God for how we honor authority, but authority is going to answer to God for how they operate, right? That they're going to stand before God and give, it, give an account for what they did with the authority that they were given. So David kind of got this inherent, inherently. So number two, David also recognized that Saul was unjust. So, so don't think that David was naive or ignorant, David knew how evil Saul was. It wasn't that David was somehow shielded or that David was just some sweet little innocent kid and he wasn't aware of what was wrong around him. David knew exactly what was up. Uh, look at what David actually says, his own words in 1 Samuel 24. He says, see my father, look at this piece of the robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of, my, of your robe but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you were hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. David has some issues with Saul. Like, he, he, he justifiably so. He had some anger towards Saul. He had some resentment towards Saul. He said, I'm not going to do it because I know that that's God's place and not mine. But I know God's going to judge you. I, I know God sees my heart and he sees your heart. God knows what's right and what's wrong. And so ultimately what I see in, in point number two here is David had an incredible faith. See, because a lot of times we don't want to submit to unjust authority 
because we want, we, want, we want to make justice right. We want to take it into our hands. We want to say, no, this needs to be taken care of now. David had a faith and a trust that justice would eventually be served. That, that the God that I serve sees all things, that he knows all things, and I don't know what God's timing is. Maybe it'll be this week. Maybe I'll get to go home and be with my family again next week. Maybe it'll all be made right, but maybe it won't. But if it takes 40 years, and by the way, it took 40 years. David was on the run for just under 40 years, about 39 and a half. It was 40 years from the time he was anointed to the time he was installed as king. 40 years David trusted God. 40 years, David said, I'm not going to harm the person you've put in charge. We're, we're not patient like that. We, we want to fix it now, right? Like we want to take justice into our own hands and, and, and push back at authority and talk back to authority. And, and David didn't do that. He recognized, you know what, God's going to fix it in his time. Third thing that I see here is that, just referring back to last week's message, David knew Saul would answer to God for how he uses authority. But he also knew that he would answer to God for how he honored Saul's authority. David, David got this in, on, on an innate level. I don't know that he'd been taught it. I don't know that he'd been showed it. But somehow David inherently understood, I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to answer for how I treated this king. This unjust king, this evil king, this abusive king, this deadly king. This king who wants to take me out. Now, now flash forward again to Romans 13. Who was the king in that era? It was Nero, right? He was the emperor, unjust king, evil king, hateful king. We, we see it happen again and again all throughout history. And yet David says, I'm not messing with him. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to, to, to respect him. Um, David was under no delusion that Saul was just or that he had it all together. He knew better than anybody how unjust Saul was. But David also knew that, that God had put Saul in place. He says, until God takes him out. I'm not going to mess with them. Uh, so back to our worksheet. I got this actually off of a website. The, the reference is at the bottom as I was researching the message this week. Um, it's a website called Institute and Basic Life Principles. You might be familiar with the, the organization. You might not. Um, they actually had, I think, 15 blessings, 15 rewards is the way that they use it. Uh, for, for honoring and submitting to authority that they put on here. We pulled one of them out because it was really confusing, and I, I couldn't even, I wasn't sure that I completely agreed with it, so I was like, you know what, we're not going to put that in our people's hands. The only other edit we made to this is we changed the translation. They used the King James translation, which can be very confusing. Uh, so, so we modernized it. We, we put mostly the NIV. There's a couple spots where we actually went with the ESV, and those are noted. Other than that, this is 100% their work, so we want to give them credit where credit is due. Um, there's a lot of different ways that the Bible says we're going to be rewarded. We're going to be blessed for honoring authority. Some of these you'll see are very specific authorities. A lot of them are going to deal with the blessing for, for honoring and respecting parents. Some of them are going to deal with the blessing for honoring and respecting government authority. Some of them are going to deal with, with honoring and respecting spiritual authority. And I think each of those specific things has a specific blessing, but I also think the, the general blessing applies to any level of authority. In other words, if I'm blessed for honoring my parents, uh, why am I blessed for honoring my parents? Because they're my authority. Uh, and so when I honor other authority, I'll be blessed in, in similar ways, maybe not to the same degree as the specific blessing for honoring parents, but 14 rewards here for those who submit to authority. We're not going to go over this this morning. Um, we're we're going to really just kind of focus in uh, on just one or two of these, uh, but I wanted to make this available to you because I want you to see this is all throughout scripture. 
that this is not just a, a cherry-picked verse here or, or a sim- simple story there. This is throughout the Word of God. There is a massive blessing, a massive command and expectation that we're going to, to honor authority. We're going to submit to authority. We're going to obey our authority. Um, so, so today we're talking about the blessings of, of honoring and obeying authority. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16, or through 17 actually, is, is on here. Um, now, I want to read those to you in the NIV. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Everybody say every human authority. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those to right, who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And then he loops back around to it, connects it again, says, honor the emperor. So, So first of all, submit to every human authority and specifically references the emperor. And then at the back end, he says, honor the emperor. What's interesting to this about me is, is who says this? What do we know about Peter? We go back to, to, to Peter, the disciple. What do we remember about Peter? Peter was probably not the one who was most likely to be real submissive to authority, right? Uh, P- Peter was the guy who always had an opinion. Peter was the guy who spoke first and thought later. Uh, Peter was the guy who, as Jesus is getting arrested, what's he do? He takes out, he said, we're going we're gonna to fight. We're not going down without a fight. He takes out a sword. He cuts somebody's ear off. That's Peter, right? And so fast forward a few decades, Peter's grown up. He's matured in the faith. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. God's used him in incredible ways. And now that same kind of punk kid who we saw following Jesus, now he's the one saying, you know what? We're, we're going to show honor to Emperor Nero, to, to this guy who is crucifying Christians. To this guy who is, who is throwing Christians in, he, he's sewing them inside of wild animal furs and throwing them to dogs to be eaten alive. He's taking them and mounting them on poles and putting them in shirts made of wax and lighting them on fire and burning them alive so that he has light for his party in his backyard. That guy, he says, we're going to honor him because he's an authority. He's going to answer to God one day for every unjust thing he's done, for every follower of Jesus who he's harmed. He's going to answer to God. But in the meantime, as long as he's still king, as long as he's still in authority, we're going to honor him. It's hard to process. It's hard to, 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 to grasp that. It's hard to understand that if we look at it in strictly human terms. But you see, so many times, I think Travis actually mentioned this, um, or maybe actually it might have been Dave. Uh, it was Dave at um, our worship night. He said, you know, so many times things of the spirit are just a complete 180 from things of the flesh. And, and this is one of them. Because when it comes to authority, especially authority that's imperfect, which, side note, all human authority is imperfect. Some's just more imperfect than others, right? Like all of it is flawed. All of it messes up. All of it abuses power at some point in time. All of it steps out of line or gives bad advice or, or does something harmful at some point. Some of it just does it a whole lot more. But, but when it comes to in human for terms, it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to honor this guy. He's not worthy of my honor. But, but scripturally speaking, honor isn't about the person who's being honored. It's about the person who's showing the honor. In other words, I can show honor to somebody who's not honorable. David showed honor to Saul. Why? Because David was honorable, not because Saul was. Right? Peter calls the Christians to show honor to the emperor. Why? Because the Christians were honorable, not because Nero was. So, so you're 
authority, your principal, your teacher, your parent, your boss, your small group leader, like whoever that might be, whatever authority that is in your life, that person doesn't have to be honorable for you to show honor to them. God's calling us to respect, to submit, to honor authority, even when that authority doesn't seem worthy of that honor to us. And I know that's difficult. It doesn't come natural to any of us. It surely doesn't come natural to me. Um, I want to talk just a second about maybe the difference um, between honor and and obedience or honor and submission. You see, submission and and obedience is about the action. So, So I'll illustrate this for you in a minute. Honor is about the attitude. So best illustration I've ever had for this is when I was a kid, my, my parents would give me some kind of chore, um, and I would get so mad. They'd be like, go pull the weeds, Troy. And so eight-year-old Troy goes out to pull the weeds, and he does it. He starts pulling weeds, probably not very well. Probably didn't get him by the root. You know, it was probably just doing, like, the surface job. But, I'm, but I'm, I'm obeying what they said for me to do. I'm submitting to what they've told me to do. But what's going on in eight-year-old Troy's head? I'm going to run away, and I'm packing up all my stuff, and I'm going to find a new place to live, and how can they treat me like this? They don't respect me. They don't realize how good they have it because I'm so good to them, but, right, you know, like I had this, I was crazy. I was delusional, right, but but I had all this stuff in my head, and I can't tell you how many times I planned my runaway and how dramatic it was going to be and how they were going to come find me and apologize to me and please come home, right? I had it all figured out. So, So I was obeying their authority, but I was not honoring it. Because obedience is the action, and my action was right, but honor is the heart. Honor is the attitude, and so it is possible, in fact, I would say it is likely for us to obey, I think probably most of the time I've ever been pulled over, I obeyed, but I probably was struggling with the honor, right? Because honor is about the heart. Obedience is simply the action and ultimately God doesn't just want our actions to be right he wants our heart to be right and so he's calling us not just to get to obey or to submit but actually to have our heart in the right place here's what I think is Americans I think we're better at obeying than we are at honor I think we're a lot better at obeying than we are at honor and I don't think we're good at obeying (laughs) Like, it's not that, hey, we got obedience down, um, but we're a lot better at, than we really are at honor because honor cuts to the heart. And the only way that we can truly honor authority is, is to deal with the heart, is to give that to God, is to allow God to begin to, to come in and, and work on us. And it's a process. It's a process. But, but guess what? God says, I'm going to bless you. So I'm going to reward you. Look, look at the titles of some of these rewards. I won't read all the verses, but, but it, here's the reward for honoring authority, obeying authority. Things will be well with you. You'll have a long life. You'll bring delight to the Lord. That's a great one. You'll avoid fear of condemnation. You'll maintain a good conscience. You'll bring joy to your authority. You'll receive God's reward. That's just the first side of it. Over and over again, God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward you. I'm going to bless you if you will just get this area of your life right. If you will just learn to honor and obey the authority I've placed in your life. I want to talk to you a little bit about how honoring and obeying authority has, has shaped and impacted my life. Um, this was not something that I was good at the majority of my life. I still wouldn't say I'm good at it now, but I was not good at it at all as a kid. Um, I was decent at obeying, but, man, only when people were looking <laughs> I will say that. I was decent at obeying at the right time so I didn't get punished. Um, but, but 
my heart was very rarely ever right towards authority. Um, I, I always made decisions on my own, um, despite, man, people who loved me, my parents, my, my youth pastors and youth leaders saying, you know what, that's probably not a good idea. Um, I can remember specifically one girl that I dated pretty much defiantly to my parents' advice and my youth pastor's advice. Both of them said, look, she's bad news. Uh, my youth pastor's wife said she's really bad news. Um, and they were right. Um, I spent a year and a half of my life with that girl, and what I had to show for it at the end was I had gone much further sexually than I, than I ever intended or wanted to, had dishonored God, and I got cheated on, um, got heartbroken. Uh, why? Because I stepped out from under the cover, right? God put people in my life who weren't perfect, but they loved me enough to speak into my life and say, look, I don't think this is the best thing for you. I don't think this is the direction that you need to go, but, but I'm independent, but I'm freedom, man. I can make my own decisions. I was, I was, I was a senior. I was 18. I'm an adult. I do what I want. Uh, and, and what did I bring into my life? Destruction, sin, heartbreak, guilt, shame, regret. Why? Because I stepped out from under the cover. Um, God put that authority in my life to bless me, to protect me, to help me, and I chose not to listen to that. Um, in, in fact, the truth is, and I hate to admit this, uh, my mom has literally been right about every girl I've ever been with in my life. Um, and uh, hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast because I don't want her to know that. Um, <laughs> 36 years old and married, and I still don't want my mom to know she's always right. Uh, but but she's literally right about every girl ever, and it was always no until the one that I married. That's the only one that she ever signed off on. Um, and and it's, it's amazing how much wisdom she had. Um, it's amazing how much blessing I would have had had I just listened to her, how much money I would have saved. Gosh, I don't even want to think about that. Um, could, could have been in a lot better situation. Dale's back there identifying with me. Yes, you understand. A lot, of, a lot of wasted money in some wasted relationships. Um, here's what I'm trying to say, guys. Authority is a blessing if you'll take advantage of it. It's designed to be a blessing. God's placed it in our life for a reason. Um, as, as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit better at this. In fact, um, it was in 2006 I was listening to a podcast from a youth pastor in Seattle who I'd found on iTunes, and I literally listened to him just because he was from Seattle, uh, and that's where I was from. I was, I'm going to check this guy out, and his name's Judah Smith, and, and Pastor Judah was talking about this area of authority, and he gave some advice to teenagers that I'd never heard in my life, and I grabbed a hold of it at that point. Uh, I was about 25 years old, um, and I can't say that I've walked this out flawlessly since I heard it, but I've really tried to incorporate it the last 11 years, and, and my life has been a whole lot different. And I'm going to give you this advice. It's probably the best advice I ever heard in my life. Pastor Judah said this. He said, run every major decision in your life through your authority. Run every major decision in your life through your authority. So young people, who you're going to date, who you're going to marry, where you're going to go to college, what you're going to major in. Now, now, when I say run it through your authority, I don't mean you have to obey everything that they say. But seek out their counsel. Um, and not just usually just mom and dad. I would recommend multiple levels of authority. So, so when I decided I want to propose to this girl, I think this girl Melody is the one. I think I'm going to put a ring on her finger. I had two conversations. 
before I made that happen. In fact, I think I had three, uh, two for sure. Uh, well, when I asked her dad, that doesn't count. That wasn't counsel. That was blessing. Uh, and that was way scarier than asking her to marry me, by the way. I've never been so scared in my life as when I asked her, her dad for her hand in marriage. Uh, but but the, before I got to that point, I had a couple conversations. One was with Pastor Jason, who, who's my mentor, uh, my, my pastor, uh, the guy who started this church. I talked to Pastor Jason about it. And, and Pastor Jason, he'd actually signed off on Melody like a year and a half before I ever dated her. He was like, you need to, you need to do something about that girl. Cody Mercedes did the same thing. Uh, so, so sometimes God gives you good advice uh, through your friends as well, uh, not just through your authority. Um, but uh, before I ever went to the level of proposing, he said, you know, we sat down and talked and, and talked out the relationship. And here's why. Here's what I see. Here's why I think this is a good idea. What, what do you see, Pastor Jason? And, and he was like, man, I should have told you this six months ago. Like, go make this happen. Like, do it. But I, I got the full blessing from, from that level of authority. I also had that conversation with my dad. And, and me and my dad are, we have a funny relationship because we're really close in some things and we're really not close at all in others. And so we never, we'd never talked. I was always super private when it came to relationships. Didn't talk to dad. The only reason I talked to mom is because she wouldn't let me not talk to her about it. She was going to ask about it and then just give her opinion whether I asked her for it or not. Uh, dad, dad was a little more gentle and he'd wait until I came to him. So we didn't talk. So before I took that step with Melody, I called my dad. And I said, hey, dad, I, I want to talk to you about something and opened that up, and my dad did the same thing. He, he signed off on it. He gave his blessing. And so, man, major decision that, that came just a couple years after I first heard that advice, run, run every major decision in your life through your authority. Now, now, you may have some authority that you don't need to run it through. You may know. I mean, I've had students in our youth ministry who, who felt like God was calling them into ministry, and mom and dad weren't Christians, and they hated that idea. And, and so I'm not saying there's never a time where you're going to step out from under what your authority tells you to do. I'm, I'm not saying there's never a time where you're going to do something different. But I still told those kids to talk to their parents about it. You, you still need to talk to them. You still need to open it up. You still, there's still the authority in your life. Have the respect and the honor for them. And if you, if you have to make a different decision than what they tell you to do, you can still honor them even when you don't obey them. See, because sometimes we, we're released from the obedience side of it. Right? I'm, I'm 36 years old. If mom and dad tell me to be in bed by 10 o'clock tonight, I don't have to go to bed by 10 o'clock tonight, right? Like, I don't have to submit to that anymore. I'm a grown man. I got my own kids. Um, but I'm still called to honor them. That's why in the Ten Commandments it doesn't say obey your parents. It says honor your father and your mother. Because while obedience stops when that is no longer, you're not living in their home, honor never stops. Honor is lifelong because, again, honor is about the attitude. It's about the heart. It's, it's about what we continue, the way that we continue to treat people. So run every major decision in your life through some level of authority. Man, my, my, when my wife, when we were engaged, um, she had a mentor. and She was in college in Florida. She had a mentor named Damaris who, who she met with on a weekly basis. And that woman held her accountable, and she found out about every little thing going on in our relationship and uh, what we were doing physically, what we were doing uh, relationally, our phone conversations, how late we were on the phone. Um, and, and she flat out told her, you guys are on the phone too late. You got school in the morning. You, got, you guys need to stop this. And I was 28 years old, and she was 23. And you know what? We submitted to her mentor, and we got a cutoff time to get off the phone. And you know what? I slept so much better. Praise Jesus. It was, <laughs> it was great. It was the best advice. And, and it seems so small and so inconsequential. But just opening up for that leadership and saying, you know what, I'm willing to be led. I'm not going to try to do life alone. I'm not going to decide that my way is always the best 
Well, I'm not saying that every decision you make on your own is wrong. I made some good decisions on my own. I, I felt called into ministry on my own. I didn't consult with authority on that one. I, I heard that call, and, and I went for it. If I had it to do over again, though, I still would have went and, and had the conversation. Do you guys see this in me? Is this something that, that, that you think I should pursue? I, I would have at least opened that door because I think there would have been a greater blessing in it had I done it. Um, Find that authority that you can trust, that you can confide in, man. Multiple levels. Like I said, for me, it was, it was my dad and my pastor are, are kind of my two primary confidants when, when I need advice. Those are the authorities that I submit to. Um, my wife is a, is a huge one for me. Um, find that, that authority in your life and run every major decision through it because God's called us to honor our authority. He's called us to obey our authority. And he says, if you do it, I'm going to bless the heck out of you. It's not natural. It's not normal. And I know some of you in here right now are just like, you've got that angry voice because you got that boss that you can't stand. You, and, uh, l- let me say that. Let me address that real quick, actually. If you've got an authority in your life that you flat out can't honor and obey, you might need to find a different authority. Like There, there comes a point in time where, it, where if you've got the boss that you just can't respect, I, I know somebody who their, their boss was cheating on their wife openly in front of the, the office. Everybody knew what was going on. And I can't work here. I can't be a part of this. I can't, I can't look the other way. You need to find another job, right? Be- because you can't openly dishonor and disrespect the authority that's in your life, but you may not be able to be under that authority. So let's find you something else. Um, I've had people in, in multiple, now obviously you can't get a new dad. You can't get a new mom. Um, you, you probably can't get a new teacher. Uh, when you're pulled over, you can't get a new police officer. Um, there's, <laughs> can you call somebody else in? You got a partner, right? Um, like <laughs> there's situations where you're going to have to honor and submit and obey just even in, in the moment. Um, but, but, but there may be some people that you say, well, you know what? I can't. Um, I've known people who are in very toxic church relationships with a, a pastor who is very authoritative and domineering and, and try to control their lives, and they had to leave that church, and, and I think that was, that's the right thing to do um, in, in an abusive situation for sure. Um, but in the meantime, while you're still under that authority, honor it and obey it, and if you do, 14 different ways, God's going to bless you. 14 different rewards that are kind of come into your life. I've seen it in my own life time and time and time again over the last 11 years. When I've honored authority, when I've submitted to it, even when I didn't want to, there's a huge blessing for God's people.